boys screws loose, they done stripped the bolts on them. Should have never sent them to pick up the work for them. Sprayed the park and had my shit inside the car. Marcus Smart Boy was shooting with a 36 on him. Said if he wasn't in a rush, they was all goners. Tech cursive on the chest, he was going to Sean John him. They were sleeping on the garden at dawn. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Shuddy's Corner. I'm your host, Ben Handler, a.k.a. King Chuddy on Twitter. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Perino at underscore Nick Perino on Twitter. Nick, how we doing? Uh, feeling pretty much the same as I've felt every, after every Celtics game for the last two years. So mm. I guess I'm feeling fine. <laughs> status quo. That status quo, that's a... Uh... A good way to put it at this point, sadly. So, as you can hear, it's a it's a somber mood uh, among Celtics fans for obvious reasons. Things have not been going great, but a little bit of housekeeping, obviously. If you like the podcast, you can follow us, subscribe, uh, just search Chuddy's Corner on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, it's there. You can always check us out on nickperino.com which is the home for the blog, the podcast, the Chuddy's Corner, as well as all your real estate needs. Uh, so check it out. Give us a like wherever. Give us a review. Tell us how you feel. We're all for that. Anyway, let's get into it. And uh, this could be some venting today. We're usually, uh, I'd say, pretty pretty for the most part, realistic, optimistic, optimistic. Uh, not too sky is falling, but lately it's felt it's felt as close to the sky is falling as a while. It's it's been it's been pretty upsetting to watch what's happening with the Celtics. It just seems like everything's going in the wrong direction, um, and we're just it's hard to find find those glimmers of hope. So the last time we were with you was was a while ago. It was almost a month ago. We were thirteen and thirteen. We kind of said that. December was brutal. It would be a brutal schedule. We hope to make it through there around 500 or above would have been great. Um, and then that it was kind of time to turn the page to January where the schedule for the Celtics opened up uh, a long stretch of seemingly winnable games as the team is kind of rounding into health. Um, but so far it really hasn't mattered who the Celtics have played. Uh, the losses are just getting more and more, unfathomable the team now sits at 18 and 21 as we're recording this uh friday afternoon january 7th after just another unfathomable loss last night to the knicks which was preceded by an unfathomable loss the night before against the spurs and the list goes on and on celtics right now are 11th in the east not even in the play-in game it's bleak it's dark um you know, it's 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 tough. I don't know what you can really even say at this point. The team, they just they continue to frustrate. There's zero consistency from game to game, even from quarter to quarter, which has been something we've talked about for seemingly as long as we've been podcasting about this team. The most glaring issue at this point, I think, is clearly what's going on in the fourth quarters and the crunch time situations. It seems like all of these games are close. We're either getting blown out and come back to make it close or we're blowing a team out. We let them back in it. It gets close or like the Spurs game the other night, it's almost just neck and neck the whole way. But the one constant is that when the game gets close late, we get tight 
and the Celtics stagnate into kind of the worst version of themselves. And that's led to now a two and 11 record in games decided by five points or fewer, which is crazy. But honestly, like the eye test feels even worse than that. It feels like it's every single game is coming down to the wire and we're just inventing new gut wrenching ways to come out with a losing effort in all of these games. And at this point it's, you can't say it's luck or, you know, just a bad stretch. It's who we are. Like this team has no identity. If they do, it's just blowing games at the end. Um, and it's, you know, there's already been 40 ish games into the season. It feels like there's been 15 nominations for game of the year. And you go back and look at any one of them and they all have a valid case. It just gets worse and worse. Um, it's disturbing. I mean, we had one performance the other night against Orlando, a terrible team, which was arguably tanking the game. We played awful uh, and made, came back to win after a 14-point deficit with about four minutes left. That looks like an outlier because uh, that's the only time we've really seen any semblance of that. And again, it was against an Orlando team that arguably didn't even want to win the game. Um, but it, it's, it's just a reflection. It doesn't seem like it matters who the competition is. We play the best teams in the league and can look great for sequences. We could play the worst teams in the league and look worse than they are for sequences. Um, And at the end of the day, it seems like we're just losing close games over and over and over and over again. And it's, they're all different and unique, but it's really just all the same thing. I don't even really know what to say. Um, Are you seeing things any differently, Nick, or is that kind of just where we're at right now in your mind? Well, that pretty much wraps it up. It's like, it's the same Celtics team that we've been seeing for the last at least two years, I guess you could say. Um, and I feel like we're saying this every single episode. It's the same team, it's the same team, it's the same team where we're playing game to game, looks like a different team, half to half, quarter to quarter even. We just very rarely put together a full game and sometimes we don't even put together a full half. And it's the frust- it's to say I'm frustrated is an understatement because you know we've been pointing fingers at this person, that person the last couple of years. I think I mentioned to you the other day that there's just there are less people to point the finger at as we go. So I mean, I don't know if that means we're narrowing in on the problem because I still don't know what the problem is. But, you know, last couple of years, maybe you'd say Danny hasn't been doing a great job. Now he's gone. Brad's in the front office. So obviously Brad has his, um, Brad, I think now we're starting to see maybe we underestimated his greatness. Um, But the problem with him was never X's and O's and, um, you know, his basketball IQ. But I think towards the end, maybe people are starting to speculate that, Maybe he sort of lost, was losing his voice in the locker room. Not that he wasn't still respected, but, um, you know, maybe it was just time for a change, you know, from the uh, head coach position. So now he's up in the front office. And I'd say that Brad had a borderline great offseason. And I don't even know if it's borderline. I mean, our, our roster is, I think, significantly better than it was last year. Um. And it's not to say we have a championship roster, but I think we have a overall, other than shooting, which I know is a big part of basketball, we have a pretty solid lineup. Um, 
rosters, you know, mostly well-rounded other than shooting again. Um, and either way, I, this is definitely, this roster is definitely better than a sub 500 team. So that's not the problem, the roster construction anymore, which was probably an issue the last year or two. Um, you know, we hired Eme to appeal to the players, uh, which I think we both liked that hire. Um, and it seems like the right, seemed like the right move. And I'm not saying Eme is, you know, a bust and it's over, but, you know, we hired him to be more relatable and he's got a good reputation, reputation and well-respected amongst our players, the league seemingly. Um, and I think that's shown to be true, but there's really no denying that he's struggled from more of a, you know, the in-game, maybe rotation, game planning. Um, he's had his struggles, uh, which, you know, it's hard to argue that. And it's expected, I guess, with rookie head coaches. Um, I wouldn't say expected, but I'd give him a little bit of a leash there. Um, say there's, you know, there's a learning curve as there is with every, you know, every new job. Um, so I don't know. It's then if you eliminate Danny from being the problem, you eliminate Brad from being the problem, and then maybe put a little blame on Ime, then, I mean, where does it go from there? I mean, do you go right to Tatum and Brown? I mean, who's, who's next, who gets the next biggest piece of the, the blame pie, I guess is what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, I think that's that's what everyone's trying to figure out. And I think the fact that it's it's so hard to figure out leads to maybe the most the boring answer, but I think it's clearly a combination of things. And you know, it, it, it's impossible to point at any single person or even small smaller like faction of people and say this is clearly the problem, everything else is perfect, this one area is bad. Um uh, it's it's a combination. So I think you know, it's a cycle and you can start the cycle anywhere you want. So you could start with the roster. So I agree with you. I think uh, Brad had a great off season. I think he was given dealt a not great hand and did it about as well as could reasonably be done with that situation. I think he brought in good pieces. Um, I think everything we said about the off season in real time is still true. I, I like everything he did. I like the guys he brought in. Um, but at the same time, I think if you look at the look at the roster, we probably overestimated it a little. Um, thinking that it could be a contender this year was clearly looks to be a bit ambitious. Um, so, I mean, I think that's I – I'm not saying I blame Brad, but you can certainly blame the Celtics roster as part of the problem in that. I just – sad. I hate to say it, but it's just at least right now not as good as we thought it was or hoped it would be. Um, so I think a big part of that is – you know, when we or anyone who was thinking that this Celtics team could contend, they were betting on a few things happening. Um, so we were betting on kind of guys who had been up and down shooters, basically shooting at least like at their average or better well enough to give us enough shooting to get by with everything else. Um, and then we were banking on, you know, big internal growth and big steps kind of being taken. And a lot of things had to fall into place really perfectly for this team to contend. We're now seeing. So, yeah, you could start with with the Jays, with Tatum and Brown. 
I think it's very unfair to blame them for where this team is. Um, have they been as good as they can be? Have they been perfect? No. Tatum had a very slow start. Again, for this team to contend, we were probably counting on Tatum to ascend into clear top 10 status MVP candidate. That hasn't been the case. I think he's largely been really good, especially lately. And like flashes I'm seeing from him as a playmaker have been awesome. It seems like he is starting to read the game better. The game's slowing down for him. He's making a lot of good decisions, a lot of good passes. I love what, what I've seen from him, but he just hasn't been as good as we would need him to be to take the next step. Um, I still, you know, think he'll get there and, and love what I'm seeing from Tatum. Like I feel like he's still the pillar that he always was for this team. And the same with Brown, who has been in and out of the lineup. He's been hurt. He's clearly played it less than a hundred percent. A lot of the times, but he hasn't really made a clear big improvement to his game. He's been good. Um, you know, he's been very good scoring a lot and has been one of the guys who is shooting pretty well, but he hasn't really taken a step as a playmaker when he's kind of the main guy, especially when Tatum's out, he's turning the ball over a lot and he's just not making great passes. He just hasn't taken that step, which again is fine. It could still come. And that's a very hard step to take. And even without it, he's still a really good player. But I guess what I'm saying again, is we needed big, jumps from Tatum and Brown as the two key guys. And so far, while being good, I don't think they've been good enough to make us a contender, clearly. So then it kind of trickles down to the rest of the roster. Al has been good, but his shooting has fallen off a cliff. He's like a career low from three and teams are kind of just starting to ignore him out there. So if he's not really spacing the floor and making shots, that hurts us, especially when he's playing alongside Rob Williams, who's obviously not a floor spacer or you know, some of our other backcourt guys, Dennis, who's been, again, pretty solid in his role. And I like what he can bring to us, but his shooting has fallen off a cliff too. He's shooting under 30% from three. I think it's the worst season of his career from outside. So he's not spacing the floor at all either. Marcus has been Marcus. I think he's had a really good year and I, I love him when he's playing point guard, but he's been, it's been a bad shooting year by even his standards too. So I guess what I'm getting at is it's, it's even harder to blame the Jays when, all of these guys who are kind of banking on giving us enough shooting just haven't. And a lot of the times, again, it's, it ends up being Tatum and Brown out there with three guys who are just not really great shooters. And the defense is just collapsing around them and the burden we're putting on them is insane. And when they do make good plays, we're missing a lot of open shots. It's, it's tough to watch. Um, Grant and Josh have been really good and making a lot of shots, but they're just not, they're not getting enough time and they're not playing, they're not starting and they're not playing crunch time. So it seems like, especially when those fourth quarter breakdowns are happening, the guys we put out there, just it's the wrong mix or they haven't been good enough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it a little, but it really seems to boil down to, to the lack of shooting in a lot of these situations with the roster. So I think that was a good way you put it where you said maybe we, overrated the roster to start the year um, or in the off season or whatever, which I know what you mean. It was, I still think we have a good roster in a vacuum. We have a lot of good players, but you're right about this team. You know, we were expecting better shooting and I don't want to say it's all on Neesmith, but I mean, if he was half the shooter that he was made out to be, that would be huge for us. Not that we would be, you know, contender or anything, but that would help out with floor spacing and that would help out with a lot. Even if, you know, if we can get 
15 minutes of sniping from one player, that would be huge. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I was saying, in vacuum, I think we still have a solid roster and we have a roster that should be better than where we're at. Um, and yeah, to get, like we said, the off season to get the championship contention, it was, you know, another leap from Tatum and Brown. Um, Tatum, obviously with a slow start, like you said, but, you know, he's pretty much waters, you know, found its level. He's the player he was last year for the most part. Um, and he has, you're right. He has gotten better at playmaking. Um, I still think a lot of these passes he's making, and even though I've been working, he's been getting assists. I do feel like it's almost feels scripted in a way, which I don't know if it's just because, you know, from watching the game, you can kind of see where he's going with the ball, um, you know, before he does it. But um, I think playmaking also is, you know, in the NBA, it's finding somebody that you did, that doesn't look open or find, making a play that doesn't look like it, didn't look like it was there, which is probably the next level, which hopefully he can get to. But he is doing better there. Um, Jalen, his playmaking is borderline non-existent unfortunately and maybe that's just not who he is and I mean that's that's why you know that's what separates the elite top 10 superstars from really good all-star level players and maybe that's all he is but that's fine I mean nobody expects him to be you know an MVP candidate he is what he is and you know he still may have a little bit of room to grow um, just like a natural veteran progression, but he is what he is. So I don't really put any of it on on Jalen for the most part. And I honestly think I'm more confident this year in him being like a primary scorer than I was last year. And obviously he was a good scorer, but I think anytime he has a ball in his hands, I'm like, I'm perfectly okay with him shooting whatever he gets. I mean, he's making everything, three-level scoring, Um I don't know what his numbers are, but just from watching him, I mean, he's proven to be an elite scorer, I think. Um, and maybe a guy that can be a primary scorer. Um, I don't know why on a championship team, but on a good team. Um, and I know for us, that's probably not what we need. We probably need Tatum to be the primary guy and him to be the, the off guy, but Either way, I'm, I think there has been a little bit of growth in, in Jalen, um, just from, you know, the eye test anyways, and from a scoring perspective. I wasn't um, trying to say there was no growth with Jalen. No. I just think, you know, if we needed, no, I know needed a big step for those guys in general to become like a clear, one of the league's best duos mentioned in that breath, and they, mm -hmm. it just hasn't been that. No, no, he hasn't made a big leap, but I'd say he's refined his scoring ability. Yeah, um, he's been he's been and, back, no doubt. And he's been uh I'd say probably more consistent defensively. Um, which I know last year, maybe in the beginning of the year, he, he had some defensive lapses. Yeah. Um, you know, off ball, he'd let guys, you know, just it looks like he lost, maybe lost focus or and guys, for you know, let guys down. Whatever reason the team statistically fell off a cliff defensively for uh, for the stretch he was out. So right. Not directly attributing attributing it to him, but it just shows, you know, for how well the team has has played through it all on defense, he has been a big part of that. His uh, perimeter defense. 
and kind of versatility. Um, but I do think part of our, part of our struggles, at least, you know, what I can see from what happened last night specifically was that even if, if Tatum's on, you know, they're going to run the offense through him every single play, which generally, I guess, in the NBA, when you have a superstar score, that's a lot of times what you do at the end of crunch time. But Jalen's getting lost at the end of games or in crunch times, I feel like, more often than he should be. Not every time, but you look at last night, for example, and I know Tatum, you know, was hot, but only two people scored in the fourth quarter. It was Tatum and Marcus. Marcus had eight points. Tatum had 13. Jalen took one shot. So that's yeah. not a winning formula. And I know, no. you know, you look at Jalen and be like, uh, or Jason be like, well, he was, you know, he was on fire. He, you know, was whatever he was, five of eight from the field or whatever, and scoring a bunch of buckets. But that's not always the best way to run an offense. If you have one guy that's giving you a ton of points and he's, you know, hot, you know, you do want to ride it, but you're not, that's not helping the rest of your team offensively. So, I mean, he was hot and we scored 21 points. So is that really, was that really for the best or should we have tried to get Jalen more involved or should we have tried to move the ball around a little more? Um, having Tatum play, you know, ISO and make great shots and, you know, step back threes and whatever is nice, but that's not going to close out a game. And we still kind of get into that routine of playing ISO ball when either the offense is stagnant or once we get into like, you know, crunch time scenarios. And that's, we gotta, we have to figure out a way to break out of that. I don't know. I don't know how we do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, that's, it's pretty evident. <laughs> Everything we, we say keeps kind of leading back to these late game situations and how it's just so broken. And like you said, Tatum was awesome last night. Blaming, blaming Tatum would be ridiculous. Like it's, it's so hard to, to pinpoint any one thing. So, I mean, I guess we've kind of said, you know, there's some blame on the roster and kind of what we're missing there's some blame on the players and how they haven't kind of played up to their ability in the case of a lot of the role players, at least with shooting wise and how the Jays haven't kind of taken a big enough step. And I, I agree. I left out kind of the kids, but yeah, the fact that Pritchard, Neesmith and Langford are pretty much all complete non-factors is just brutal. Um, and especially on offense, like that they just are unplayable and yeah, that they're not providing any shooting. Um, and I wonder if, you know, we'll, we'll see anything change there. But for now, that's certainly been kind of a devastating blow and uh, significantly bad development of, of late and kind of in general. Um, so that kind of brings us through, you know, the front office and the players. So I, then it leads to, to Ime and how much blame does Ime deserve? Um, so, I mean, again, like we said, rookie coach, obvious growing pains. I think the, the team definitely respects him, all that. And it's, it's early in his career. This, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to totally blame Ime for this. Um, when, like we said, he's been given a cl clearly an imperfect roster. And a lot of the guys he has been giving haven't been really performing the way we had hoped and that they have in the past. So it seems like probably for, 
for the most part, whatever Ime is going to try, he's probably a little bit limited. And no matter what he does, he's, he's sacrificing in one area for another area. So I don't want, I'm not, I'm certainly not in like fire Ime crowd or anything like that. I, I still think there's, there's hope for him, but overall so far, it, it hasn't been particularly impressive. And again, it's a lot of the same stuff. So at what point do you kind of look at the coach and say, what you're doing isn't working. So something's, something's got to give. So, you know, I don't want to go through everything, but like a few things that are particularly frustrating to me from Ime that I think he just has to change. Um, let's start with the end of games. I don't understand the crunch time lineup at all, really. Um, and we kind of alluded to it earlier, but so you've got Schroeder and Marcus in your backcourt. Two point guards who are not really three-point shooters. Now, Marcus is obviously going to be in your closing unit, and everything he does like outside of shooting more than makes up for what he lacks in shooting. So if he's like your worst shooter or your, you know, your least outside, your least non-shooter who isn't a big, like the guy who's going to be on the perimeter, I think you can totally live with that. But then you bring in Schroeder, who's shooting even worse from the outside and is also a point guard. You've got these two point guards who don't space the floor and you're basically using Tatum or Brown as the lead ball handler. So, I mean, Schroeder in the right spots has been good for us, but what he's good at is kind of leading the offense, slowing the game down, getting you buckets in isolation or in the pick and roll, getting to the basket. He's not being asked to do that at all really down the stretch. So I just don't see what he's adding to the mix out there. He's just another guy who the defense doesn't really fear as a shooter. Um, and when he gets the ball, he's not making outside shots. I mean, I get that you, you want a guy who, when he gets the ball in a kick out, he can attack a closeout or break a guy down. But I just think he's, he's taking away more than he's adding. And he's obviously not a great defender and he's not that big. Furthermore, when he and Marcus are out there together, for whatever reason, Ime continues to run offense through Dennis, which for one, I think Marcus has done a really good job as a true point guard. And that's where he's by far at his best offensively. When Dennis is out there, then that basically turns Marcus into an off ball guard. So he's playing the role he's asked to play, which is basically being a standstill shooter from the outside. He's just not a great shooter. You know, he, he's streaky. Obviously he makes some shots. I can live with that, but you're putting him in a role that's just not really best suited for him. So I, I personally would much rather see a better defender and floor spacer than Schroeder as the fifth guy in crunch time, which would either be to me Richardson or Grant Williams who have been making shots. Like is the defense respecting them a ton more? They're not, maybe not pure snipers who suddenly are going to shift the balance of the defense, but they're both bigger, better defenders. They'll bring you more on the defensive end, um, on the glass, whatever. And they've been making shots. So even if the defense doesn't respect them, if they're making the shots, who cares? I just think this, to me, is a no-brainer to at least try one of those guys in crunch time. I don't. They're, they've been our only really good three-point shooters outside of when the Jays are on. And they neither one played at all in the fourth quarter. They basically never play in crunch time situations unless one of the guys who is on the floor is out. So this to me is like one thing you can point at is if Ime doesn't fix this fast, I'm going to start pulling my hair out. Dennis, he's obviously he's had, you know, 
it's been up and down with him. I mean, he's been, you know, he's been what he is and it's, he's a good player that's playing in the wrong role. He's not in the right situation. It's not, it's not his fault, but he's like you said, him and Dennis and Marcus should almost never be on the floor at the same time. Agreed. And that's for all the, all the reasons, like you said, especially in crunch time, but just in general, I don't, there's no real reason for them to play more than a couple minutes, you know, just between, you know, rotation or whatever, but he's, he's playing out of his natural role in his natural position. Um, he should be playing less minutes. I think not just because he hasn't been great, but I just think he's not a 32 minute player, 32 minutes a game player, which is I think what he's averaging right now. Um, his ideal situation, like you said, come off the bench, be a spark, instant offense type player. Um, you know, maybe the first or second guy off the bench where if you need some, you know, if you need a quick point, you just want to go to ISO. Then you put him in there, pick and roll, see what he can do. He's good at getting to the hoop. He's a decent, you know, mid-range shooter. He can shoot three. He's not his, not his best trait, but he's just – he could be really good for us. He's just not in the right situation. And that's obviously on Ime. I mean, there's no one else to put that on. I mean, you know, Dennis isn't putting himself out there for 30 minutes a game. Um, right. So, and like, and like you said – him and Marcus on the floor at the same time. The whole point of turning Jalen and Jason or attempting to make them better playmakers is when they get double and triple teamed, they make the right pass and they can make the pass to someone who's open or make the pass to someone who can make the pass to the open person. But if that open person is Marcus or Dennis, is that really the person you want taking a three in crunch time or they're not going to, that's not going to help them face the floor. So exactly. it's not going to pull double, triple teams off of Jalen and Jason. They're still going to keep doing that and take their chances with everyone else. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's just <laughs> frustrating to watch because it, it's, is. it seems so obvious. Right. But I think the thing is, you have to question like, so you mentioned it, like Dennis and Marcus can make shots. I mean, it's not like they're terrible shooters and they have no chance of hitting open threes that, you know, we're not looking at like Michael Kidd Gilchrist out there, but they're having down years shooting. And like you said, it's just that the defense isn't scared of that. Like the other team is basically saying if Schroeder, if a Celtics possession in the late game situation ends with Schroeder or Marcus taking like a, lightly contested three they're happy to live with that so like i said i think you can get away with one guy like that out there but to have two out there it's just again it's just completely cramping the the paint and the inside for for tatum and brown to work and a lot of times like i said i think generally it seems like tatum is always making the right play but again it would just be so nice to have a true shooter who the defense really respects in there is Richardson or Grant Williams the answer? I don't know, but like, let's at least find out. I'd like to find out. <laughs> They've shot well. They've shot, you know, considerably better than those other guys. Like, 
I don't know. I, it's hard for me to really make a compelling argument to why Schroeder should be out there over Richardson in those situations. Like I think Richardson gives you almost as much in every aspect of the game, if not more, except for like ball handling. But again, we're running those possessions through Tatum or Brown almost every time. So we're really not looking for a lot of ball handling. And I think Richardson has shown that he's not just like a set shooter. If he gets the ball, he he's can break un- down, he can break down the defense. And uh, he's an he's, underrated you know, ball handler. Yeah. Like if he gets the ball and again, you're talking about attacking a closeout or something, which is what you're looking for from Dennis. Like I think Richardson can do that as well. And he also has been hitting open three. So, and he's obviously a bigger and a better defender. So whether it's him or Grant Williams, I think they've at least earned earned a shot. And again, what we're doing clearly is not working. So you got to try something else. And and short of, you know, a roster change, like with the guys we've had, let's try ones who make more sense, at least on paper. Like the current closing unit is broken. Yep. So, I mean, that obviously comes down to you, man. Um, he has control over the rotation. So we've gotten to the point where we have to mix it up. Um, there's no, I mean, it's, we've, it's what we're doing now is proven to be not a winning formula. Um, so let's, you know, let's, let's figure it out. Let's at least try. And I mean, I know Romeo and Neesmith and Pritch aren't the answer, but if we're going to suck, let's at least see if we can get something out of them. Let's see if we can yeah. break Neesmith out of this shooting career shooting slump. See if maybe he can get confident and start hitting some shots. Yeah, a career um, long slump. I like that. Right. It's and just been Pritchard, a it's just been a slump. <laughs> yes, it's just a slump for his whole career. And uh, he, you know, Pritchard's not like obviously not the answer either, but he can shoot and he's looked decent out there. He's not you know an elite defender and um, but I don't know. I've generally like what I see out of him in short spurts, anyways. Um, I would like, I would be more than okay with him taking some of Dennis's minutes. Um, but I, I don't know. I really, that's not going to solve our, you know, crunch time, obviously. Yeah. But, and I don't think that's like much. I mean, it's disappointing and it hasn't helped, but those guys haven't really been like the reason that we are where we are this season. No, no, not at all. So um, I, I do want to jump into stuff like that, but first let's, I got a little more on Ime at least and what okay. I think he could have done. So, I mean, that kind of goes through the crunch time in terms of the rotations, which have been frustrating. The starting lineup in when it's actually together has been solid, but again, with the way Al's shooting, I think if we're going to have double bigs, it might make sense to start Grant. Um, I think, you know, again, he would space the floor better and we already have Rob down low so I'm not sure having Rob and Al when they play together it seems like it almost kind of stifles both of them offensively so I wouldn't mind seeing Grant in there and then Rob having a little more uh, playmaking responsibilities of his own um, whether starting or kind of in crunch time and that was something Jalen actually spoke a lot about the other night and that he thought the bigs uh, you know he said Rob or Al whoever's in there should have the ball more um, in late game situations which we saw kind of glimpses of it in one of the few positive games when we out of nowhere kind of just smoked the mostly healthy Suns. 
Um, and that was an amazing Rob game. And I think showed a glimpse of maybe like another way this team could function. I know Tatum didn't play in that game, but I think either way, it makes sense to have Rob more consistently involved. Um, Cause you know, he can like dominate and really put his stamp on the game. And a lot of times kind of like you mentioned with Jalen, it seems like he just is, disappears almost for stretches. And I think part of that is probably still him, but part of it is Eme too. He could get, definitely more creative and kind of diversify the offense a bit. I know, you know, this is the NBA and at the end of the game, every team is basically doing the same thing. You're getting the ball to your best players. You're running ISO or pick and roll. You know, I get that. I I know you're not, you're probably not running a set every time down and the defense is, is honing in on what you want to do. So I get that, but at the same time, it's getting, a little tiresome to keep hearing him kind of spitting out these cliches in post-game interviews about lack of focus, lack of ability to stay calm, leadership, all this stuff that's like, okay, these are kind of tired cliches. There are actual coaching fixes, call plays, run other stuff. He calls out players a lot. Um, so again, you know, it's kind of a lot of talking and when there's no results at a certain point, all this stuff, it's like, well, you're the coach. You speak should probably be able to do something about a lot of this stuff and again it seems like he's not it doesn't seem like anything's changing in what we're doing so at a certain point it's like that you know doing the same thing and expecting different results isn't that the definition of insanity and it kind of seems like that's what he's that's doing correct. so it's like Ime, if you see the, you know all these problems and again it's not a lack of focus i don't think or a lack of any of this other stuff i think it's you're playing the jays a lot they're exhausted down the stretch they have a huge burden and teams are keying in on them and the guys they're passing it to are making shots. Like it's a lot of stuff. Um, and it's frustrating in that sense. So I think, you know, those are maybe some other fixes, I guess that he may could possibly make and, and to just, just try other things. Like it's, that's been kind of frustrating. And again, I know it's early, he's still finding his way, but it, it seems like a lot of talk and a lot of kind of finger pointing and blame, at least publicly. I'm sure, you know, some of it is intentional to try to motivate the guys, but at a certain point, it's like, it's a lack of shooting, like bad rotations and stuff like that is as much to blame as these, you know, effort and focus and things like that. I like Ime's, you know, I guess intangibles and all his secondary, uh, you know, coaching pluses i guess um which are what we thought they would be so he is calling out players which we haven't had in years um he doesn't seem afraid to yell at people um he's you know we've wanted a coach or somebody to hold people accountable that seems like what he's doing but like you said it's just it's all talk until you show it until you prove something um so i like that I like that we have that now, but you know, nothing's, nothing's going to change unless the players, you know, absorb it. Um, and I don't know, maybe they are, maybe they just aren't capable of doing it, but um, I'm willing to give you an early pass to this point anyways. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's something you can figure out. Hopefully it ends up being a great coach but he has been a problem. Um, it's been disappointing. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. And, and talking had- about, you're talking about Al too, um, how he's kind of, you know, fallen off with the shooting anyways and the whole double big situation where, you know, I don't think we thought we'd be in a double big situation to start the year, but um, 
But Al, I think, has proven to be what we thought he would be when we acquired him, which is solid vet, either off the bench or, you know, a pseudo starter where, you know, he can come in, give you, he, he should be playing, I don't know, he should be playing 30 minutes a game. That's for sure. Because I think that's sort of why we're seeing him, you know, wear out, but mm-hmm. come in, give you 20 minutes a game, run the offense and with the second unit, play defense, move the ball. And, you know, he's not a great three point shooter anymore, but he's still teams will respect him out there. Yeah. And, and he's made some, I don't, ones. yeah. And I don't have a problem with him shooting wide open threes, even, you know, no. even with whatever he's shooting. So I think, that's I think that's probably an easy fix to help you know you know create some more minutes on um, you know in the rotation and you know maybe make more room for um, I don't know Josh and um, you know spread it out because I mean I think if you have if you have Dennis and Al as your first two off the bench a couple of guys that get you know 15 to 25 minutes on a given night that's a solid first two. That's a solid sixth and seventh man, I think. Um, yeah. If they're in the right role and playing the right, you know, amount of minutes, but that's not what they're doing. They're both basically playing starter minutes, and mm-hmm. that's not what they're. That's not what they're designed to do. Um, yeah, and that's almost exactly what I was about to say. Is that I think it makes a lot of sense at this point to transition Al and Dennis into kind of the face of the bench, so to speak, you know, like I mentioned, maybe getting Grant into the starting lineup, getting Josh into the closing lineup and building key bench minutes around Al and Dennis being kind of the key guys, maybe rest the Jays a little bit more throughout the key game. So they're fresher down the stretch. And when Al and Dennis are in there, they'll be featured. They'll will play to their strengths. They'll get to do what they do to veterans who have familiarity together. Um, as does Josh, you know, has some familiarity with Al. So with him coming off the bench, like, I think that makes a lot of sense for this team. And like you said, to, to bring down the minutes of Dennis and Al and kind of accentuate that the core four guys of this team are Marcus, Jalen, Jason, and Rob. Um, those are kind of the clear top four. Dennis and Al probably shouldn't be starting and probably shouldn't be in at the end of the game, even though like they've both been really good other than they're both shooting very disappointingly from the outside, but have otherwise, I think been very good additions to this team. Let's just put them in roles that make more sense to them. And then especially like you said, with the state of this team, it's not like we've seen any reason to think we're close to contention. So why are we playing these guys so much who, especially Dennis and he, and Al almost certainly as well, like they don't have long-term futures with this team. And if, and when this team is built back into a contender, it's probably not going to be with them. So why are they playing so much? Um, You know, and the one thing I will say then about that, as you know, I'm ready to kind of transition to talking about moving forward here is that I get that this, this stretch in January was supposed to be where we kind of right the ship and uh, go on a run here and push ourselves back into the hunt so far early returns on that are not good it looks like we're going in the opposite direction so i get it um and i'm fine with you know let's play this month out let's see if we can turn things around and show some reasons for optimism but if we see kind of more of the same and we're still 500 or worse by 
you know, the start of February, I think it's time to look at get maybe moving guys like Dennis and Al, seeing what we can get. And if we can't even get rid of them or we don't, you know, see a, a good trade, then at least let's, like you said, play the kids, play heavy minutes for Pritchard, Romeo, Neesmith, Grant, certainly. And if we suck, at least it'll be more fun to watch us suck. And um, again, then we'll at least find out if any of those guys can be useful because they haven't been so far, but they still haven't gotten a consistent role or consistent minutes. And you could certainly say that they haven't done anything to earn that. But again, these are guys who are in their third or second year. Um, It's time to see what we have. And if, again, if we're not even a playoff team, which right now we're not even a play in team, who cares? Let's find out what they are. If they suck, at least we know they suck. If they're good, we can then decide if they're part of this team going forward, or at least we've kind of showed them off for, for a trade. So at this point, again, I don't think you like have to bury Dennis and Al um, and let's at least, you know, play them, see if we can write the ship and then play them so that we're kind of showing them off for teams to trade them the rest of this month, if not. Um, but one way or another, if this team has, if there's not a dramatic turnaround over the next short stretch of games, I think we have to think about transitioning to the future and just, just letting these younger guys loose for better or worse. It's sad to say, but it is right. Um, and I mean, we're not there yet, but if we get there to that point and, you know, if we're a long shot to make the playoffs and I think we'll, I think we'll we'll be in the hunt regardless, but you know if if we're on the outside looking in by the trade deadline, it's going to be a tough call. Um, I don't. I think we talked about it in the last podcast where it's like we get to the trade deadline, we're not going to just we're probably not just going to sell everybody and tank because that's the wrong message for the younger guys, Jalen, Jason. If we're not that good, we don't want to be like tell them you know we're taking this year off. You know you just you know, go relax, have fun, whatever. So we want to show them that we want to win by any means, regardless of the scenario situation. We want to build kind of that winning, you know, culture, I guess. Um, but if we do get that point, then yeah, maybe we see what's available, um, what we can get for Alan Dennis. I mean, I don't think, I don't think anyone would be too upset if we moved on from Dennis. Um, I mean, I think he's, you know, well-liked in the locker room and everything, but I think they would get it. And, you know, they probably realize that he's not the right fit. I mean, I don't know if they do. I mean, the coach obviously doesn't know that. So, um, you know, if we move one or two, if we move one or two of them and bring in someone else to see if we can get a spark and try and sell it like that, then I think that's probably something we're going to have to look at. Um, there's probably not any real – I think probably our biggest problem is we're really sort of lacking in leadership, I guess. Um, And I know it's kind of a cliche, but um, I know we brought in, we brought an email to kind of be that leader from, you know, the coaching staff, but I think leadership is underrepresented, underrepresented in the locker room. And I do think Marcus shows aspects of being a leader but I still think at, at points he's a little bit – he can be passive as far as, you know, we don't, we don't really have someone that can – has, the, like, the pedigree to be 
you know, in the huddle and yell at everybody and say, this is what we have to do. And, you know, be, get mad and fire everybody up. We just, we don't have like a fiery team, I guess. Um, and I know maybe it's overrated, but you know, with a lot of these, a lot of good teams, you have to have some people that are passionate and, you know, show how badly they want to win and get angry when they're not playing well. And um, I feel like when we're not playing well, we get bummed out and, you know, we hang our heads and have bad body language, that sort of thing, which is just, you know, that's to be expected with a young team and young players. So that's, I think that's a big part of it. And I mean, Jalen and Jason, as good as they are, they're not good enough to be like silent, the silent leader type. And not that they don't talk or, you know, but they're not, they're not like, you know, Kawhi, I think a lot of people compare, you know, to a silent leader, um, but he's Kawhi, he's an assassin. So if you're going to be a silent leader, you got to be able to like put the team on your back and win games single-handedly. So I think we have to get leadership from somewhere. And I don't think that's really going to happen in season because you don't really just go and acquire leaders and then that changes everything around. Something probably have to build in the off season. So I don't know if we want to turn this around, I think we're going to have to add players, you know, add shooters and stuff and see if that can spark something. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what you said at the end, it's, it's more shooting. I think it's more the right mix of players and the right fits alongside the Jays than kind of leadership. I think, I think I've seen passion from, you know, a lot from Jalen, some from Jason, some is kind of the guys they are, but again, they're young. Like I still have no, no issue with thinking that these guys are developing into the kind of leaders of this team you want. I mean, I think they show the right emotion and say the right thing for the most parts. And yeah, some, are they frustrated? Yeah. But like, this is frustrating. (laughs) Like it's, how can they not be frustrated? It would be weird if, if they weren't frustrated. So I get what you mean about the body language. Sure. Um, but it's also like, I, I understand it. And I mean, these are kids and they've for the most part in their careers been used to winning. So I get that this feels like kind of like rock bottom and we're seeing it, but I don't really think there's a problem with like leadership, so to speak. And I don't think you have to go out and target some guy who's going to come in and, you know, like shake things up in the locker room. And again, I think we've already kind of tried to see that. I think it's really more shooting. Um, They need guys who can shoot plain and simple. Um, and again, is that a realistic fix in this season? Probably not. The way things are going, it would be crazy to think of the Celtics as buyers at the deadline. Um, so like you said, you know, we've kind of talked and have fantasized about different guys. I would want to have mentioned uh, Buddy Heald a few times. Like a guy like that is is pretty clearly what we need, but I don't know right now if we're going to go out and make like a trade to acquire kind of a, a better player. Um, so, I mean, again, maybe that's just one example of kind of the, the type of player who would be seemingly an ideal fit, a guy who just knocks down threes. Um, and, you know, there's been talk that he could be available. The Kings want to get rid of him. That's a move that I could see because it, it would be, you'd think somewhat of like a future looking move. He's a guy who you'd think would become like, a part of, of the core going forward and a logical kind of fifth guy with those other four going forward. 
But, um, I mean, in terms of, like, guys who are on expiring contracts and stuff, as we just said, there's to get another guy to kind of take minutes away from Neesmith or Romeo, who isn't going to be around long term, if we're not going to be a good team, doesn't really make sense. So, yeah, it hurts to say, but but without a, pu- a push here, I think we're looking at selling, if anything. And, yeah, for the reasons you said, you know, we're going to lose Dennis for nothing. Let's see if a playoff team could use him. Let's collect some assets, whatever. I don't want to use the T word. Um, but, and, and you know, we're not going to tank with Jalen and Jason healthy. Like, they're just too good of players, and you're not going to see it. Um, I mean, lately, it doesn't look like we have had to try to tank. Um, it seems like it's happening almost organically anyway. But I think the main thing is whatever you do, you got to bring in at least, you know, Jalen and Jason and and outline your plan. If you're going to start getting rid of vets um, and guys who seemingly are helping us now, you got to make sure they're on board and kind of explain the situation and say, nobody's happy with this. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. Um, you know, it might look ugly for the rest of this season, but hey, fight through it. We'll make moves in the off season. So if, if they're going to make moves to try to hunt for, you know, this third star in the off season we've been hearing about, they could be paving the way to do that. Uh, maybe they've got smaller ideas. Like I said, something like a buddy heel type of guy, someone who can fit in as another really good role player who might unlock kind of the best version of these guys, whatever it is, but they need to have a vision. Then they need to get Tatum and Brown on board, make sure they're happy with the vision but again, I mean, at this point, it looks like kind of almost bottoming out and getting getting rid of some of those guys, letting the kids play through their lumps might make more sense. And if the Celtics end up with like a top 10 pick, I'm not sure that would be the worst thing for this franchise right now, whether it's we add another top 10 player or it's kind of one more asset to throw at people. I mean, if we can get rid of Dennis or Al or one of these guys for – a late first round pick, you know, to a contender, maybe that's a dream, but you know, maybe we can make that happen. And then we have our own pick. That's good. Suddenly we're looking at maybe a, a nice package we could put together for someone in the off season. So, you know, as much as I can't believe I'm saying this and it, it hurts me to say like that might now be the best outcome for this team. Cause it seems like the ceiling now is like chasing the six seed. And that would require a lot of, things to happen that we haven't really seen a ton of reason to expect will happen. Uh, wow. That was a depressing little, little diatribe there. (laughs) Accurate. Uh, and I don't think we're like you're saying, I don't see us tanking at any point. Um, at least not intentionally. And I just don't think it would take an injury to one of the Jays probably. And just, yeah, it takes one of them to get injured because, for a long period of time because we're not we're not good enough to win it all but we're not bad enough to be you know a top five or a bottom five team so if we tank i think the ceiling in quotes for our tank would be like you said maybe you know 10 9 something like that but i think realistically if we play out the year and we suck we're probably going to be at worst late lottery. You know, we're probably going to miss, I think our our floor is probably just missing the playoffs being, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15, 10 and 14 or whatever. We have Um, the 11th worst record in the league 
for a, a so, reference point as of today. Right. And I'd say there are teams below us who you could make a case could easily pass us if we wanted them to, uh, like the Hawks, Blazers, etc. Yeah, no, a couple who true. I think are, are still going to try to win no matter what, at least. Yeah, and I, I mean, maybe I'm just... And you get into the lottery, anything could happen. I mean, it could be the, you know, 13th odds and get a top three pick could happen, yeah. you know. No, so that is true. And I mean, I guess from a standings perspective currently, I guess that's probably, you know, that's but probably within reach. But the fact we're discussing lottery balls is really. really I know. Impressive. I know. And <laughs> even if we do, you know, get in that position and we're in like around the 10th pick, then, you know, at best, that's, you know, maybe an appealing asset in the trade, like you said, because we're not, you know, adding late mid lottery picks to this team isn't going to get us anywhere. Um, you know, unless we really get lucky and somebody falls to us and they turn out to be a superstar, but we don't really have time for that. We, we need to start building a real championship roster around these guys. So I think to tank would be doing a disservice to this team, um, especially the Jays. So I don't see that ever happening this season anyways, unless, like you said, unless there's a couple tough injuries and, you know, we can't put together a competitive roster. But assuming health, I think we're going to try to win every game. Um, you know, and I think we're try like, you know, like we're trying to win right now. Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's sad, but last – Last trade trade deadline, I'd say we were probably fringe buyers. And I think that's probably where we were last year with, you know, that Fournier move where it was two seconds or whatever, where, you know, even if we're still kind of putting around 500 just below it, I would make a move like that for, you know, a Fournier type, Terrence Ross, something like that. I don't know what Terrence Ross would cost, but. Something like that. If, if someone maybe, especially Ross, who has one more year left, um, I don't know what it would take to get Buddy healed, but I would love yeah. Buddy. And I, I think that's probably just, a bigger move than than you're kind of making it out to be. I think Buddy is a bigger addition than just, you know. For, well, for sure. And But that's what I'm saying. That's why I would consider a guy like Buddy, because I think he's still young. He's very good. He makes a decent amount of money, but he's a guy who, okay, now you've got a clear, you know, core of five guys you've got your starting lineup you'd have marcus the jays buddy and rob and it's like okay that's our five that's a pretty damn good starting lineup you can you can make a move like that even if you have to give some stuff up but to give up anything real for a guy like terrence ross and i like terrence ross i mean we were raving about him the other night with orlando so like you said if we're in a position last year where you could talk ourselves into being buyers and that we could use a guy like that to help us it makes sense but right now like I don't know. Is Terrence Ross, he, why bring him in? Like I'd almost at that point rather just, like I said, play Neesmith a real role, give him 25 minutes, give Romeo 25 minutes a game, let Neesmith shoot five, six threes a game. And like, let's just see what happens. I, I think that's almost better for us long-term. Are they going to provide better minutes in the moment than Terrence Ross would? Probably not. But I just think whether it be as players or as trade assets, it's more beneficial to the Celtics chances of winning a championship at some point to just play the guys we have on our own roster 
like again you know it's it's year three of Romeo and I know he's has missed a ton but like let's just play him 25 20 minutes a game at least consistently and just see and if we get through the end of the season and those guys have played heavy minutes and they all suck then again like at least we know that they suck but it's it's hard to even judge them when they have such a little role they're barely ever playing and when they do play they're basically reduced to just standing in the corner yeah i think if we're you know if we added someone like ross that probably means that you know we also moved schroeder or i don't know somebody al and like i don't think we're just gonna if we add him for two seconds then i mean yeah if we add him for a couple second round picks and then add him to what we already have then you know we're probably never seeing Neesmith and Romeo again for the rest of the year. Right. Um, Which, why so, would, if we're not going to be good, why would we not play those guys? Yeah. And maybe you're right about that. And uh, Terrence Ross, we know what he is at this point. I think he can be at best, probably a solid sixth man on a good team. Right. Yeah, and he's like maybe yeah. that's probably his ceiling. If even. So, I mean, the only reason why, I still would consider Ross just because he still has one more year after this. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that, I guess and then it's, it's, a, it's in that low, you know, whatever it is, 10, 13 something million dollars a year. So that's a good tradable asset. Yeah. Um, so I guess so. I think if you're giving up, you know, very, if you're giving up little in return, then I think that's a valuable asset to get back from a, you know, he's a good player and he's a, tradable chip so um he doesn't he, don't, he won't hamstring you know us next year because um you know if we have to keep him then we kept a good player if we traded him then you know we didn't really give up much for him and hopefully we're bringing back a good player but yeah i'd have to be convinced in these next few weeks that there's any reason to make like an upgrade to the team yeah. that would take away minutes from just seeing what the kids are yeah and that's fair and i mean I don't know. If, I don't know who you and have. I, I like list. Ross. I mean, I mean, do you have you have other people on your list other than Buddy and Ross? That I mean, is there anyone? I mean, I meant that like you would. would that I like you would Kyle Anderson if the yeah. uh, the Grizzlies are willing to trade him, and but I don't know if they would be. Um, you know, we've talked about like Joe Ingles. Seems like he's available. So there's guys who would obviously kind of fit the the bill of what we would want. But if they're just going to be a rental like Fournier and we, like I said, these next few weeks are big. If we can somehow unexpectedly turn things around, get a little momentum, climb over 500, and it looks like we can make a push to get like a five or six seed, then yeah, if we can go cheaply acquire a guy like that, um, those are kind of the names that come to mind. Those ones I just said, who I think fill the role and could be attainable without giving up like any real assets sure let's do it but if we're five games under 500 or something like i'm not sure it makes sense to get any of those guys who we really have no reason to believe would be around longer than maybe the end of this year um i know anderson and ingles are on expiring deals um so yeah i mean it's it's, it's tough to find a guy who fits. I keep saying buddy, cause he's kind of the perfect mix of like having years left and would be, it would be a move that would help us in the short term and the long term. 
there's not a lot of those out there to be found. Uh, I don't think that wouldn't be like, you know, require a major, major shakeup, which I just don't think we're going to see in the season considering we saw a lot of shakeups in the off season. It's still Emay's first season, et cetera. Like, I don't think, I, I don't think this, there's any chance the Celtics are just going to blow it up uh, significantly. So I think someone like Buddy Heald is probably like the peak of, of expectation that you could have um, if you're the Celtics for like a short term and, long-term move I don't I don't know I really just don't see us making another move like we did with Fournier if the team doesn't show more signs of life because again I I think I'd just rather play Neesmith and see if he could maybe be that or maybe he can find a shooting stroke if he actually gets a, a real chance to what about someone like Eric Gordon <laughs> or Eric Gordon. Uh, Eric Gordon. Yeah, no, like I, I get it. I mean, he's the right type of player, I think, in theory, but I think it would kind of be more of the same in terms of like, why bother? <laughs> he makes more sense, I think, to a team that's a contender. Like, we're just not a contender. So I don't know. He's going to be taking away minutes. He's not is Eric Gordon going to be a part of the next Celtics championship team? It seems hard to imagine. Um, So again, I mean, like I said, if we make a push and it looks like we're a piece like Gordon is worth getting for little cost. Sure. Am I giving up any real capital for him? No. And if we don't show improvement, do I even want him taking away minutes from the kids who are obviously not as good as Eric Gordon, but might be someday <laughs> more helpful than Eric Gordon? Right. No. So again, it's nothing really about the player, but I just, it's not like you get Eric Gordon. It's like, there's another piece of our core going forward. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, Gordon, it's nothing against, I like the player, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense right now. Yeah. The reason why I ask is because I mean, Buddy Ross and Eric Gordon are probably the three most realistic, you know, trade opportunities. I mean, they, they all seem like people that are probably going to be on the trade market um, this trade deadline. And they all kind of fit what we're lacking. So, I mean, I figured it was worth asking anyways. And, it's um, worth asking, but I mean, Gordon is 33 years old. He makes over 18 million this year, 19 and a half million next year. And then he's got an option... Uh, I'm not sure if it's a. I think it's a team. Uh, it's, it's, a non, it's not. All right, it's non guaranteed. So, yeah. so it's one more year after this at almost 20 million. Yeah. Uh, not, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine like that's a contract that you want to take on given the current state of the team. And I'm not, I'm not sure teams will be lining up like. I mean, I mean, maybe we can dump him again as an expiring contract, but then like, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I get it, and he would provide much needed shooting. But it's it's a tough sell, and at 33, he would probably look and be like, I, "No, I want to go to a contender, not the Celtics." Right. Oh, so, sure, I don't know. Um, well, I think it's I more know. likely we we sell a guy like Dennis than acquire a vet like like yeah. Eric Gordon or um, whoever else. I think, you, you just I think we're on the same page there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, like I said, if things were turned around and we were looking at ending the month of January at like, you know, if we were going to get up to like 30 and 25, something like like that and showing signs and guys were playing well, 
then I would definitely say those would be perfect guys to target. The way the season's going, I just there's no point in it. Sadly, I know. <laughs> well, we have we have a few more. When's the trade deadline? March? Uh, no, I think it's in February. It's around the All Star game. I don't know exactly. Um, let's see. February 10th. Oh. So it's creeping it's up. Unexpected. Yeah. So That's what I'm saying. So month. it's really, yeah, we got about a month to, to see what this, if this team can, like I said, somehow turn things around. And if they yeah. do great, uh, if we can go on a real winning streak, like I said, and it looks like we're definitely going to be jostling for position and we're going to be a playoff team. Then I'm, this is a different conversation and we'll talk, you know, we'll talk again before the trade deadline and see where we're at. Um, but in our trade deadline focus, if we're talking about anything like we are now with the state of the Celtics, I, I just don't think those guys will be realistic for a team like the Celtics. And again, I think we'll be talking about probably moves to sell teams that make the team worse uh, for the, at least the rest of this season, which is a tough pill to swallow, but I think if you're really, if the goal is to win another championship, that's the goal, then it's hard to, hard to argue that that wouldn't be the right move. Yeah. You know, there's probably not a lot of championship moves to be made this trade deadline. So I think it's basically the line is probably we get the trade deadline and we're a 500 team or better or we're a 500 team or below. So, I mean, if we get to the trade deadline, we're 500 or better. That means we played better than 500 basketball between now and then, which means we're probably playing okay. If we get there and we're still a couple games under 500 or worse, that means we've been playing the same or worse. So I think that's probably going to be, you know, that's going to be what it comes down to. If we're, if we play better than 500 basketball now and we're within striking distance of, you know, a playoff spot, at least playing game, then maybe we add somebody minor like a, you know, a Ross, even if that's, I don't know if that's minor or not, but, um, or, you know, if we're not, then maybe we sell off Schroeder and maybe see if we can get something for Al. But I think that's probably, I think that's probably the line that they're going to, you know, straddle and that's probably going to determine what we do with the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is what it is. Like I said, it's it's tough pill to swallow. I don't think either of us thought uh, this is the kind of conversation we'd be having uh, on January 7th, 2022. I don't think it's the conversation either of us want to be having, but I think we got to be realistic. And that's where this team is at. What we have right now is just not, it's not enough. And, I, and again, as we've said throughout the the entire podcast, it's not one guy. It's not like we signed Horford and he's killed us. It's not like we signed Dennis and he's killed us. In a vacuum, those were still two good moves made by Brad. Um, again, it just, for a bunch of reasons, it all hasn't worked out. And we are where we are and we got to reassess. Um, so, yeah, we got about a month till the deadline and then it'll be another big reassessment. And then from there, it's probably on to next offseason. So, I guess the only other question to add from there is like going forward, has anything changed on kind of your long-term outlook? Like, have you changed your mind about wanting to trade one of the Jays? Do you think that the best course is to go star hunting at the end of this season for the Bradley Beals of the world and guys like that? Or do you think we kind of stick with um, 
you know, the current infrastructure and keep building around the young guys with more kind of fringe moves? Like, or are you still kind of just in wait and see mode? Like, where where are you at? I guess what's changed in your long term outlook for the Celtics? I'm still probably in a wait and see. And I mean, I don't, I guess that's kind of saying like how we finish the year. And there's not really, when I think about it, there's not really a way we could finish the year where I'd probably, it would probably drastically change the direction we go in the off season. I mean, unless all of a sudden Jim and Jason turn into, you know, Jordan and Pippen and we go on a deep playoff run and something like that. But realistically, we're probably going to be, you know, about where we thought we would be last year. Um, so whether that's go star hunting, like you said, Bradley Beals, the one that everyone keeps talking about. Um, I think you definitely explore it. I think you explore everything, every scenario, anyone who's available, you make a phone call. Um, and, you know, Bradley seems like, you know, the most, you know, seems like a logical fit just because of the relationship with Tatum and, um, you know, a veteran, you know, score or whatever. I, I'm not going to, I don't want to get into whether he's the perfect fit or not, but something, somebody like that, I think you have to explore it. Um, you just, it's, it's hard because we haven't, we don't know if Tatum and Brown are good enough to be the best player because on a, on a championship team, because, you know, we haven't seen it. So it's kind of like, it's kind of obvious to say because, you know, you don't see it until you see it, but they haven't really shown to me, they haven't made me more confident that they can be. Um, so I don't want to trade either of them. And I'm not suggesting that we do, but like I said, I think you, you overturn every stone, you check, you know, you explore every option. I mean, if we get to the off season and I don't know, uh, Carl Anthony Towns comes available. Kick the tires on it. Um, kick the tires on everything. Any star player that might be available, see what's see what it would take. I think. I mean, I don't think we're in a position where it's like we thought maybe last year was like, all right, we have Jalen, Jason. You don't trade them. You add to them. It's like, well, maybe see if there's an option out there that we move one of them and. It makes us a better team. And it sucks to say because it looked like, you know, looks like, and, you know, it looked like they were going to be the two, you know, pillars of our offense for or pillars of our team for face of our franchise for 10 years, which they still might be, but I don't think it's a guarantee anymore. Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I still believe in, Tatum, Brown, Marcus, Rob, they're st it's still a very young core. Like the Jays are still very young. Um, you know, I hope that years down the road, we're looking at this season as kind of a good learning experience, going through the growing pains, finding out what it really takes to win. And, you know, we come back stronger. And I, I still believe that building the right roster around those guys is our best, best path rather than splitting them up. But at the same time, it's the NBA who's truly untradeable, maybe three to five guys in the entire league are untradeable. So like, yeah, I'm with you. It's all, it's all open. You do what's best. And right now it's not super clear what that is, but if a deal presents itself and you look at it and say, 
as much as I hate to trade Jalen Brown, this deal makes us a better team. Like you have to at least entertain the thought. I don't like the idea. And again, it's still, I, I hate, you know, I've always hated the narrative of like, do we have to split up the Jays? Well, you know, everything, there's context, to everything. It's certainly not like we have to have to go into it with the off season saying like, this doesn't work. We have to shop Jalen and take whatever the best offer is like, obviously no, but if you get an offer, like you have to consider every move. And if it has merit, that doesn't mean again, you have to go shop one of them and you have to split them up. Like I still think having two potentially elite, two-way wings is really really damn good who are who are young fit each other's timeline seem to like each other like I've seen nothing to say we have to split them up I still think we have to build a better team around those two guys nothing has changed on that front I thought we worked towards doing that and I think we have to an extent but clearly we haven't done a good enough job um so my priority is still adding talent that fits around the Jays um chiefly at the moment shooting um that's what i would first like to see if there's a way to get a third star obviously still open to that um depending on what the deal is and we'll discuss all that in due time but uh from a macro sense as disappointing as this season has certainly been my i'm still kind of in stay the course mode generally speaking especially when it comes to the jays yeah and i'd say i'm probably generally in the same boat but uh i would say i'm removing jalen and jason from the you know no no trade clause they i would move them for the right scenario and i mean i guess that's obvious to say under any circumstance but they're not untouchable anymore um but obviously it has to be for the right move and you said you know, we're not going to go in the offseason saying we have to move one of these guys. It's not like one of them is Ben Simmons and, you know, they're not going to play for us and it's toxic and we just go take the best offer we can for him. I still, you know, I still think Tatum, Tatum is close to untouchable. Like, I think, you know, they're both really good. I think Tatum is clearly better and a better asset and has a higher ceiling as someone like, I still think he could become a top five type of player in the NBA. I'm, I just don't know if I see that ceiling for Jalen. Obviously yeah. he's a couple of years older. Um, but so, I mean, I think if you were to trade one of the two, if that, if we do get to that point, like I still think you're shopping Jalen for the best potential sidekick to Tatum. Um, right. There's still like, are not many guys I would even pick up the phone for to talk Tatum deal. So I, I don't see that probably ever happening. Um, and again, I, I still hope that we don't see Brown get traded, but I think like if it gets to a point where we have to make some move, it's going to probably be a, a move for Brown um, realistically, but yeah, no one is untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's basically what I meant. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's where we're at. It's uh, it's right now. I think we're in wait and see and then whatever, you know, wherever we're at in the off season, we reassess, but um, it just sucks that we don't at this point in the rebuild, we don't have a clear direction. Um, yeah. It's a sorry state of affairs. No doubt about it. It's uh, uh, it looks bleak and it's, 
this is definitely not like the worst Celtics team we've had, even in recent memory by any stretch. Um, but I think it's the most frustrating, maybe the most disappointing. Certainly, I think the least fun to watch. Uh, it's it's like a burden. It's a, it's been a drag to watch them lately. I hate to say it, uh, but man, it's it's just been really tough basketball to watch. So. I still hope we can we can turn things around, but if not, I hope that we, you know, we at least can can play the kids and make it a much a more fun product and just just enough of these agonizing losses. Yeah, just show us show us some heart, show us you want to win, and just you know, I think that's kind of been the theme all year, uh, last year too. It's just show us that you want to win and that you hate to lose <laughs> yeah play better I think that's that's a good way to put it um and i think that's that's really all there is to say i think that's a good way to wrap it up one one bit of news to end on sad bit of news for nick uh broke right as we started recording here today that the celtics have waived jabari parker uh no didn't, comment didn't want to pick up his non-guaranteed contract and i mean it makes sense save some money free up a roster spot if uh, anything anything should happen there. And, uh, you know, if the team is healthy, like, he doesn't play. So, it is what it is. Right. Sorry, Nick. I know he's one of your favorites, but it was probably the era's a, over. a move was, I expected was, to happen. He lasted a lot longer than we probably thought when they brought him in. It was a so good run. He probably was, gave us – He had some moments. probably gave a larger in contribution than either of us expected, I'd say. And yeah, not to say showed, that was much, but – He showed he had, that he could – He had his in, moments. In the right situation, I think, you know, he could come in and score. So maybe he'll get picked up by a contender or something. Who knows? His story may not be over, but it is with the Celtics. Bummer. For now. Yeah, for now. For now. That's right. All right. Well, guys, keep keep the hope alive. Keep, keep watching the Celtics. Do what you got to do. Stick with it. Things will get better one way or another. We'll be back certainly before the trade deadline, if not sooner, to, to see what's changed. And hopefully it'll be a more positive episode. But thank you, Chuddy Heads, for joining us. As always, I'm Ben, alongside Nick. Should have never sent him to pick up the work for me. Spray the park and had my shit inside the car. Marcus Smart Boy was shooting with a 36 on him. Said if he wasn't in a rush, they was all goners. Tech cursive on the Jets, he was going to Sean John him. They was sleeping on the guard, then it dawned on him. What? My mic game different, I'm Bob Barker. My wrist spin like the wheel, my nigga still in the